welcome to Passing Shots, presented by Pro10 International in association with the MLJ Group. Today is Tuesday, April 8th. I'm your host, Pete Zebron. Alongside me is CEO of the MLJ Group, Sandy Middleman. Good evening, Sandy. Good evening, Pete. Great to be here again. Yes, indeed. And we'd like to remind everyone you can call the show at 347-637-1197. You can also reach us on Twitter at Pro10Radio and on Facebook.com slash Pro10Radio. We'll take your questions any way you'd like to reach us. You can also log on to Pro10Radio.com for all the podcasts and future show information. We've got a great show this evening with Jeremy Wurtzman, the associate head coach of the University of Michigan men's tennis team. Jeremy grew up in Rochester, New York, and obviously at the moment resides in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Jeremy was also a former Division I number one player at Ohio State University. Great to have you with us tonight, Jeremy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're making me sound good. I appreciate uh, (laughs) you having me on the show. Absolutely. Well, I don't think we have to make you sound good. You're pretty much much good. Um, We do appreciate you coming on, Jeremy, and... uh, we kind of wanted to start off with um, some sort of background questions in your, your formative years growing up. Um, as Pete mentioned in the intro, you were born and raised in Rochester, New York. Uh, we were curious, how old were you when you first hit a tennis ball? Uh, gosh, you uh, you probably remember better than I do growing <laughs> up there, but uh, I don't know if I can exactly remember, but probably three years old, I would have to say, is what I'm told. Um <laughs> and uh, I've probably never stopped since. Probably played close to every day since since I first started hitting at three. But uh, yeah, so yeah, Jeremy. I'm sure uh, along with tennis, you uh, you played a lot of other sports in uh, in upstate New York. But when you hit your first tennis ball, did uh, did you figure out that tennis was your passion? Yeah, I mean. We were always around the courts. My older brother um, started. My older brother Mark started playing um, around the same time that I started playing, and so I would always tag along with him and uh, loved it. When it would find any wall I could find, or always hitting against the garage when I was at home or in the basement when it was freezing cold uh, there in Rochester, but in the winter months. But you know, I think uh, I, I learned pretty quickly that tennis was my passion and and uh, uh, never really looked back. You know, Jeremy, you, you referenced, uh, you know, kind of finding a lot of different ways of making sure you were hitting balls, and whether it was against a garage or a wall or in a basement. Um, you know, back in those days, being so young when you first started, uh, growing up, could you have ever imagined the road you would have taken and the success you've had? Uh, you know, it, it kind of happened naturally. Uh, so I just enjoyed it so much, enjoyed practicing, enjoyed hitting, and, and trying to find anyone I could hit with at, at a young age, whether it be uh, my parents, my brother, or anyone that was around the courts, or like I said, a wall or a garage. But um, it just kind of happened naturally, and, and probably me starting so early and, and Getting so many reps at a young age uh, probably helped me in the younger age groups, which then uh, helped me kind of have confidence in myself and success at a younger age. Which um, you know, it's always more fun to play when you're when you're doing well and winning. So I think it just uh, happened, and um, 
but yeah, you know, I, I never really thought too much about uh, results or uh, more. I just thought about getting better and, and trying to to just uh, enjoy the game. Yes, Jeremy, you had an extraordinary junior career. Uh, anybody would be proud of the results that you achieved. Who were your biggest influences uh, in tennis, uh, perhaps pro tennis, and, and why? Uh, influences growing up, you know, I definitely would say um, my brother was a big influence to me um, with him being uh, such a good role model, such a good player, and and he actually coached me at Ohio State. He was our assistant coach, so he was very... Uh, always in my corner and always there to, to help my tennis any way he could. Um, and it, like I said before, he was always uh, very successful and a great role model as a, as, you know, I was aspiring to be as good as him. Um, and then, you know, just a, a lot of different coaches throughout my years as a junior player um, were great influences. Um, Sandy, you know, he helped me a ton through, you know, my formative years there uh, early in my teens and, and through high school where, you know, he countless hours he spent with me um, in those years. So, you know, I feel like there there are a lot of people um, that were extremely influential in my success, and, you know, I'm very thankful for all of them. At that point in time, uh, Jeremy, uh, you know, you mentioned your brother and Sandy, but uh, what pros at that point in time were you looking up to? Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, you mean, and you mean by professional tennis players? Not, is that, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, on tour. Yeah, Sampras and Agassi. That's who I grew up uh, watching. And, you know, we were pretty uh, spoiled in that we you could turn on the TV and and any Sunday and you, you get to see two Americans playing it off for the final, especially at Grand Slams. You know, Sampras, Agassi, Courier, Chang, um, the list went on and on. Martin. Uh, Todd Martin, um, you know Wheaton. I mean, it, it was it was amazing. So uh, I feel like all those players definitely you looked up to. And but I would say the two most to me was Sampras and Agassi because they were uh, such icons in, in my era. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think they uh, I think they pretty much accomplished that with uh, with most kids growing up, but. Uh, no question. They definitely sparked a lot of uh, excitement in, uh, in young kids. Um, you know, Jeremy, when you look back now on your junior career, um, obviously in the position you're in now, for you, um, do you have like a proudest moment or a biggest achievement, um, and do they differr in any way? Uh, in my junior career? Yeah, yeah, my junior that. career, yeah. I would say... Um, Definitely, you know, becoming a national champion I, in singles. That was one of the prior, prior moments of my junior career. Um, you know, when, when I look back, that's something that uh, I cherish for sure. Uh, it was in the boys' 14s, but I won the boys' 14s national indoors, and that was my first gold ball as a uh, in singles. I remember and, that well. <laughs> yeah, in Chicago, Midtown. So, you know, it was a lot of a, a special place there growing up at Midtown in Rochester and going to Midtown in Chicago so that was pretty neat but uh and then I guess uh you know winning Kalamazoo is always I, I won back-to-back Kalamazoo doubles titles and 
you know, that's always a special place to go back to and to have won that event, you know, whether it be singles or doubles, um, is something that is, I'm very proud of and definitely um, is neat to be able to tell people because everyone uh, knows that tournament. Um, and, uh, yes, I'd say, you know, those are the, you know, I, you know, there were some other results I was very proud of it as I got older um, in the 18s, you know, going far at the Easter Bowl and I, I didn't win the championship but coming in fifth place or, or winning the doubles there as well. But, you know, I feel like um, those are probably more the the prouder moments uh, in my career. Well, you're yeah, just I'll a few hours down uh you're just a few hours down I-94 from Kalamazoo at this point in time as well. That's going to yeah. be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sure. So I was there this summer for, for seven days looking at all the best talent and all the great players. So um, it, it, it's it, that's, like I said before, it's a, it's a neat place to go back to and um, to have had success there. I'm very thankful. You know, it's a very uh, – it's an honor. So. Sure. Yeah, and, yeah, and Jeremy, Jeremy – uh, Go ahead. Staying, uh, staying with your uh, younger years, Jeremy, during your high school years, you made a decision that uh, probably changed the course and trajectory of your professional career when you moved to Florida to attend uh, Billy Stern's Tennis Academy. Uh, a few questions on that. How did that choice come about? Um, why was that a decision? And how do you feel that moving south uh, to Florida was going to influence your growth and development? Yeah, I mean, it, leaving Rochester was a it, it wasn't an easy decision. Um, you know, leaving your family and friends, and I, I was at uh, Brighton High School, which is you know a very very good high school that um, playing high school tennis and just you know had a normal, uh, I guess normal childhood uh, for the most part up until that, and. The biggest thing was I just it was tough to get court time in the in the winter months. You know you're running around late at night trying to get an hour of court time, or um, and, and as well as finding players to play. As I was getting older, I moved down my sophomore year of high school. A lot of my friends that were tennis players were all now in college um, because I was playing with players that were three four years older than I was, um, and sometimes older than that. So. As they went to college, it was just running out of players to to practice with, and so I decided to try it out and move down to to Billy Stern Center in Sarasota. And um, I think it was very good for my development. Um, one being outside, uh, playing on clay courts, and which I you know growing up in Rochester, maybe in the summers you could get on some clay courts, but other than that, it was very difficult. So. That was great for my my uh, development as well as uh, just having countless hitting partners, a ton of great coaches that um, were at the academy, and uh, you know just people that were willing to put a lot of time in to me to try to reach my my goals and, and my aspirations uh, to become a professional tennis player. So um, it, it was. It wasn't easy, you know. I wouldn't say it's not it's not an easy thing to do to leave home um, at that age, but I feel that it definitely, in a lot of ways, helped my development and really got me to the level that I was able to get to um, in college and and on the tour. So, 
No, absolutely. Um, Jeremy, in, in sort of thinking about that, uh, you know, that progression, obviously, of your development in your career, and, you know, making that, um, making that decision to move down to Sarasota, and then obviously sort of start a, a next chapter, I guess, if you will, in right. your growth and development as a player. I mean, that obviously is a, is a massive step. Um, and I remember well you, you know, you making that decision and thought it was a great one to make. Um, but, you know, thinking about your college career, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, again, I mean, you, you know, every step you've taken, you've, you've done nothing but, uh, but succeed and have big, you know, what most people would consider big achievements. Um, going into college, you started, um, you went to University of Florida, is that not correct? Um, to yeah. start off with. Um, and then you ended up transferring to Ohio State. Um, what made you know what made you transfer to Ohio State and once at Ohio State, what do you feel was the difference in seeing your game flourish and you know and, and start achieving those things as a, you know as a Buckeye and the national indoors and then eventually becoming you know number one in the country and, and all those great great honors. Yeah, I mean, going to Florida, uh, you, you know, living in Sarasota and going to University of Florida, you know, that it, it was a kind of, I was so close to Gainesville, only a few hours away, and then I got to become very close with both the head and assistant coaches there at the time, and, uh, you know, every, Florida's everything in Florida, so University of Florida, so I think it was kind of, I was pushed there, and, and I also, getting on campus there, the facilities and the, the athletic department, everything was incredible, so... Um, you know, I felt that was a great decision for me, and the, the team was, um, I think, two or three in the country when I got there. Uh, so, I, you know, there was really no reason that I didn't feel that uh, that would be the right place for me. Um, and, and I had a great freshman year there and played, I think, one and two for, for the team and was ranked uh, pretty high nationally and, and singles and doubles uh, with a with a good record. But at the end of the year, the, there was a coaching change, and um, I decided to to look elsewhere. Uh, once the the coach um, had left, it was the head and the assistant. They both left. So I had my brother had went to Ohio State and was close with the head coach Ty Tucker, and it was kind of the beginning of their they, they at the time weren't ranked very well at all and um, was kind of just the kind of start of of their kind of run at success. And so I could kind of be the start of something new and something great um, is what was kind of sold to me um, because of, you know, the lack of success that they had had. And I had belief in Ty that he was going to, you know, improve my game and the team was going to, become a, a great team I, I i saw the vision that he sold to me and and it you know it, it became you know currently the ranked number one in the country so he's done an incredible job there but um the team was a lot different when i was there than it is now um in saying that he ran the program the same way and it, it was a lot of intense a lot of hours on court and he gave everything to me as a coach that I needed those years. Um, you know, he never said no to a hit, never said no to to hitting balls with me or working on my game and, or had my best interest. And um, I, I felt like that 
got me to the next level. I worked hard on my fitness, especially my junior and senior years, where that um, kind of helped me propel and, and probably win the indoors and, and become number one in the country my senior year because I felt like that was something that I was lacking a little bit. And at Ohio State, they had a great uh, strength and conditioning program that that was uh, able to, to help me a ton as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of a crazy move at the time um, because leaving Florida to go to Ohio State would have been almost unheard of at that time with Ohio State not really being um, on the radar for a lot of recruits or really ranked that high where Florida was ranked very high and had all the great facilities and, and Ohio State really didn't. But it was, um, you know, sold that you could be the start of something special and something that, you know, you, you would be building. And it's cool how it's it's kind of all played out there at Ohio State. Yeah, a great, great story, Jeremy. And, uh, you know, I cover Cincinnati every year, and I've had the opportunity to talk to John Isner specifically about his time at uh, University of Georgia. And he said, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am without my time at Georgia. And interesting at this point in time, the three top Americans, John Isner, Bradley Kahn, Steve Johnson, all, uh, you know, played college tennis. Uh, certainly yeah. uh, an interesting, yeah, interesting fact. And uh, for you personally, do you feel collegiate tennis provided a certain level of positive transition to your professional career as you look back or, or possibly could turning pro without going to school potentially have provided you with a smoother transition? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I would have been lost if I didn't go to college. And, you know, I haven't had – I did not have a career like a John Isner, but uh, I, I was not mature enough. I was not ready to to be on my own going in, out of high school. Um, and I felt like college was able to really – you know, you learn time management skills. You learn how to – really live on your own and and you get so much given to you with practices and and tournaments and traveling as a team and coaching and you know you, you really wouldn't get any of that at you, you when you're on tour as a high school you're paying for everything um, on your own and you know so it would have been very hard for me to have a coach or have someone in my corner or be able to continue to to travel week to week like you do as a college team so I just feel like the, I would not have been ready at all and um, it, I would have had a very 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 short career that wouldn't have lasted I don't think too long so I, I definitely think college tennis is a great great place and and yeah what those three guys are doing Quan Johnson and and Isner is proof so I think that's pretty powerful to see that and you know I I don't see why uh, the younger players don't look into it and and at least go for a couple years until they you know mature a little bit and and get used to uh, being on their own um, and not having everything um, so new to them out on tour where it's such a such a competitive arena as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Jeremy, as we as we you know listen to everything you're saying and give you know great uh, you know great perspective on choices you made and you know how you grew up and you know kind of the way you feel everything played out. Um, when you look back at your you know your college career specifically um, and all the success 
that you did have. You know, is there anything that like that you could pinpoint now as you're now a collegiate coach at such a high level? Could you like pinpoint something that you feel like attributed to your success, um, doing everything you did, being number one, um, doing it as a junior and a collegiate athlete, and also you know being voted an All-American at Ohio State? Like, what was that like, and were you surprised by that honor? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I did. I felt like I. I definitely sacrificed a lot um as as a junior uh moving down to the tennis academy and and putting in a lot of, i mean there were a lot of days i was putting in six hours on the court starting at six in the morning um sometimes before school sometimes just on a saturday or a sunday going six to noon on a saturday i remember it was the normal thing to do where a lot of kids and junior seniors of high school are going out on Friday nights and probably not getting up until, you know, noon on a Saturday. So, you know, I definitely think I put in my time as a junior, which in and maybe it wasn't always I, I learned to to a work ethic and I learned to be on the court and I learned to hit a lot of balls so I could really own my shots. Um and Maybe it wasn't always, you know, you're out on the court so many hours, it probably always wasn't beneficial. There probably were some hours that were, I could have, would have been better not to hit because, you know, you're, you're almost getting too tired out there, I guess, for lack of better words. But um, but then in college, I, I just had a strong foundation and a strong base. And um, in college tennis, uh, to get to a top level, you really don't, need I wouldn't say huge weapons but you if you can be very very solid um, on all your shots and own your shots you're, you're going to be successful so I felt like that knowing that I put in all that time um, uh, so coming in as a freshman I didn't really need that type of training um, to hit a lot of balls I, I could work more on my game and more on strategy and more coming forward or whatever I need to my serve so um, so that was kind of uh, you know the answer for my junior, my what I could pinpoint for my junior years, why I was able to be successful moving forward. And then in college, I think I said earlier, um, I think when I got uh, my junior and seniors, and, and I committed to, you know, a better diet and a better uh, strength and conditioning, really working hard in the gym and putting in some extra time, maybe taking an hour out of my tennis. Uh, you know, I still would put in three hours of tennis a day, but instead of doing four, four and a half, maybe doing an hour and a half of fitness um, at the end of the day. Or um, after studying at night, I would try to go to the gym and get 30 to 40 minutes in um, each each night. And I think that really made a big difference for me um, those years because I was able to, uh, I was stronger on the court, I was quicker. Um, and I was able to last longer in, in, in matches. Again, it's the same idea. It was more I was sacrificed. I felt like I had sacrificed. I had given up something and, and worked hard at it. And so when I was out on the court, mentally I knew I would put in the time and I was pr- to play anyone that I played. Um, and I think that was a big difference for me. Uh, Jeremy, you've coached yeah. at uh, University of Denver, Ohio State University, and, and currently associate head coach of the men's team at the University of Michigan. Uh, however, going back to uh, when you were a player and, and uh, you're a coach now, did any of your former coaches influence the way you coach today? 
Yeah, I would say everyone that I that I've worked with. Uh, you know, I, I tried to be a tennis sponge uh, when I was out on the court. So I would say every coach I had had a big influence on on how I coach. And um, you know, I think I take lessons that I've learned or drills that I've learned or um, so many different things that, that, you know, being on the court with different coaches that I take and I try to use it with my students or, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't always take credit. I always give the credit uh, to, to the other coaches. I feel like that's important. But, um, you know, I think uh, I, I wouldn't say that any of my, I'm not, when I coach, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I know that I've learned from a lot of coaches and, and uh, I hope that uh, the students that I'm teaching um, understand that because I do my best to try to give credit to everyone that I've worked with or uh, where I get my information or my ideas from. So. No, it's uh, yeah. I think that's uh, you know it's it's great. I think we're all. I think we typically all you know in the tennis world that have coached or played or um, you know we all take bits and pieces from you know many experiences from many people and when you can take those into the job you do now and positively influence your players. I think that, you know, it's great. Um, yeah. You know, what are, uh, you know, Jeremy, speaking about, you know, being a coach and, you know, you're you're in a great position and um, obviously knowing you for an awful long time, um, really happy for you on a professional and personal level. Um, what, are, what are some of your goals as a coach in the future? You know, as you kind of look forward being at the University of Michigan and such a big, you know, such a big, it's a signature school and, you know, collegiate sport. Um, what are some of your personal goals as a coach in the future that you want to try to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I've been coaching now in college uh, for uh, eight years, about eight years, and um, definitely have learned a lot and I'm putting in hard hours each and every day, each and every year. And uh, my goal is, is to be the a head coach at a school like University of Michigan that um, has um, amazing resources and amazing university to be at. So, um, you know, that that's what uh, ultimately I would love to do and, and, and play for, for national uh, Big Ten titles or whatever conference it might be, conference titles and, and national titles. And I feel like with my now with my well with my playing experience as a collegiate player, junior player, collegiate player, and and now with my coaching experience, I feel like uh, I'll have a ton to offer um, the team as a head coach uh, at that level, and and hopefully um, hopefully I'll get there uh, soon. So that's definitely where where I'm headed, and and definitely have my mind on that uh, each and every day that I go to work. But you know, being at Michigan, you know, I know. I'm very fortunate, you know, driving up every every day with the amazing facilities and the great university it is that, um, you know, I'm lucky that I get to be a part of such a special place and, and be a part of uh, a great university. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, you know, look, you, you've... Uh you've done nothing to take all the, you know, take all the small and, you know, sometimes larger, uh, you know, steps in progression, you know, developing your career. And it's, you know, like I said, it's great to, uh, great to see it constantly moving forward. And, um, you know, and as a, as an interesting twist, I don't, I'm not sure a lot of, a lot of people in the coaching world get to experience something that you're dealing with, which is, uh, 
and you and I have touched on this on uh, some phone calls that we've had about, um, you know, random things uh, professionally and personally, but what's it like to be the associate men's head coach at University of Michigan and now coach against your former school in Ohio State, both as a coach losing to uh, losing the NCAA finals to USC 4-3 and obviously as a former player and All-American and national, national champion. That's like very interesting. What is that like? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't easy. You know, we we actually played them, uh, I think three weeks ago on a Friday night match, and believe it or not, uh, when we went to Ohio State to play them, they were actually playing for the they have, they now have the longest home NCA win streak out of any team. Uh, they uh, really? meaning tennis, football, basketball, any team in NCA. It's a it's 10 years, and it was my junior year that we started that streak. Um, so, wow. you know, they've, they've, made a, they've made some big deals about it. And so I started, I mean, I started, I helped start the streak um, as a player and obviously was when I was the assistant coach through that streak. And um, so when I, when we went to play him at Michigan, when I was at Michigan this few weeks ago, um they were playing to tie the record, and Stanford women actually had had it. So it was at like 154 matches or something like that. And so we, you know, they, they beat us and they they tie that record. And wow. uh, so going in, you know, they had probably I'd say 600 people at the match, um, wow. and it was a, a big deal. Uh, and so. For us to play them for for that match and, and me being part of the streak and trying to compete to, to for them to lose their their <laughs> the streak as well it was a very kind of bittersweet or awkward um, occurrence. But you know they they they're one in the country right now and um, our team at the time you know was in the top thirty. But it, it was. Uh, they beat us up pretty good. You know, it was pretty close doubles point, but I wouldn't say the match was, was necessarily too close. Um, they, they got four points on the board pretty quickly. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, going up against Ty, who I played for, worked for, and, you know, definitely had looked up to and has helped me a ton throughout my days. Um, it, it was different. It was definitely different, but, uh, I think it was healthy and it was uh it was it was fun to to show that uh I, I know a thing or two and, and can compete against them as well. So hopefully down the road we can we can take them out and I think it'll get easier to keep playing them as I you know, am a part of Michigan longer and longer that uh it won't be you know, Ohio State will will be a lot of great memories but Michigan is now uh, the place yeah. that I'm a part of. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. that's kind of a long answer there. But, yeah, I wanted no, to it's a great explain answer. The, <laughs> the, the home win streak. And, and then recently that after that, they did break the record, and I think they have won two or three more matches. So now they, they have the, wow. the record, yeah. Oh, that's a lot of well, Jeremy, I know you. you yeah. I, I know that you uh, you're comfortable in Michigan now. When you refer to your alma mater as they and them, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so um, 
We, we really appreciate your time uh, this evening, Jeremy. And um, before we close our opening uh, segment with you, I want to ask if you have any uh, closing thoughts uh, before CNN and I come back with uh, talking about Davis Cup in the second session. But anything you'd like to leave uh, us and our listeners with at this point in time? And uh, certainly best of luck to the Wolverines this year. Oh, thank you. No, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's great to talk to both of you. Sandy um, has been a big part of, of my tennis and uh, of – my junior career, my college career, my pro career, my my coaching career. So, you know, it's nice to be able to talk to to him on, on the show. And uh, I wish you guys all the best. And uh, if you ever want to have me on again, I'd love to be a part of it. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it a lot. We, great, great we appreciate it. Stay healthy. Uh, stay healthy to you and your team. And uh, good luck the rest of the way. And with that, uh, Thank you kindly, Jeremy Wurtzman, and Sandy and I will come back after the break to talk about Davis Cup. All right. Thanks, guys. See you. Thanks. Little Caesars, home of the $5 hot and ready pepperoni pizza, now has a deep, deep dish pizza with eight crispy caramelized corner slices and even more cheese and pepperoni. So head on down and grab a large for just 8 bucks, and tell them Alan Varner sent you. They won't know who that is, but as a voice actor, I'm always trying to get my name out there. Check me out at alandoesvoices.com. That's A-L-A-N doesvoices.com. But first, get the new deep, deep dish pizza. It's hot and ready every day from 4 to 8 p.m. for just 8 bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. And participating locations plus tax. To celebrate the not normal Mini Cooper, we hired an expert to tell you about Mini telepathically. Greetings. Relax and listen to my mind. The Mini Cooper hardtop comes with 37 MPG and co-cart handling. Wait, that's not telepathy. Listen again. The bigger four-door Mini Countryman has seating for five. Okay, you're just whispering. You're still paying me for this. Come see the 37 MPG Mini Cooper hardtop and the bigger Mini Countryman today. Visit miniusa.com slash info for MPG details. Awaken the tennis player you dream of being. Tennis 365 presents... The official Tennis 365 app for educational purpose, tennis entertainment, news, and tournaments. Based on the knowledge of international tennis coaches in USA and Europe. Whether you just picked up a racket or are getting ready to make a move to the pros, Tennis 365 has a tip for you. Tennis 365 provides one new educational tip every day for a year. Save your top ten and recall them before a match or use them to help during training. Keep track of your favorite players year-round with instant access to every tournament throughout the year. Download your app today. Hi, this is Johan Crick, and you're listening to the Pro 10 Radio Network. Denise Basic is a real Geico customer, not a paid celebrity. So to help tell her story, we hired a celebrity. It was Thanksgiving night when I accidentally hit a deer. Whoa, look out! Look out! I called Geico, expecting to get a recording, but someone was there to help me. Help me! Somebody help me! Geico got my claim in the works right away, and I was actually able to enjoy my Thanksgiving. Mashed potatoes, gravy, and cranberry sauce. Geico. Real service, real savings. Get the most out of your game with the best selection of Nike gear from TennisExpress.com. Play to win in the Roger Federer Premier RF Polo and Twill Short with matching Zoom Vapor 9 Tour shoes. Check out the Maria Sharapova Premier Maria Tank and Skirt and high-performance Nike Zoom Vapor 9 Tour shoes. Sizzle on every surge like Victoria Azarenka in the dry-fed woven tank and the woven pleated skirt with Zoom Vapor 9 Tour shoes. Shop all new Nike gear for fall at TennisExpress.com.
Welcome back to Passing Shots, presented by Pro10 International in association with the MLJ Group. Pete Zebron, along with Sandy Middleman, and very nice to have Jeremy Wurtzman, the associate head men's tennis coach at the University of Michigan, on our first segment. Uh, Sandy is very familiar with Mr. Wurtzman, with his time in Rochester, New York, now the coach at University of Michigan, and Sandy, uh, we're going to shift from the collegiate game to uh, the pro game again. Very exciting weekend in Davis Cup action all across the board. Um, some very surprising results. Um, not so much with who won the matches per se, but uh, some of the line scores. We'll start with the two-time defending champs, the Czech Republic, traveling to Tokyo to play Japan. Um, unfortunately for the spectators in Tokyo, they did not get a chance to see their man, Kei Nishikori, and... Thomas Burdich did not make the trip either. Both gentlemen got injured in Miami. But uh, what can we say about Mr. Davis Cup, Roddick Stepanek, coming through, I think, age 36, a Davis Cup hero in the Czech Republic? Yeah, Pete. I, I think at this point, this point, Mr. Stefanik's career, it's, it's kind of like his, uh, you know, it's more or less his identity. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of the way everybody in the tennis world you know, sort of knows him as sort of on a stylistic level, but as far as, you know, kind of his signature and his identity in the game, um, he's just that He's just that guy. I mean, he's the guy that when push comes to shove, when it comes to Davis Cup, um, you know, where their country bleeds it, he's there. So, you know, obviously a pity not to have Burdick, um, you know, and, and no question a pity not to have Nishikori, but... Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, you know, Roddick is just the man. <laughs> that guy just steps up. That guy's going to be 50. He's going to be playing, stepping up and playing the field. Seriously, he's that guy. So, you know, congrats to him. And, and, and on another note with Roddick, uh, we touched on it in the previous show. That guy just had neck surgery a little over a year ago. I mean, unbelievable that guy. Neck surgery, mid-30s, and that guy just steps up to the plate and knocks it out. So awesome for him. Indeed, and uh, you know, came up really as a doubles player, doubles specialist, and has had quite a career in singles. And even at age thirty-five, thirty-six, uh, you know, if you're in, you're looking at the draw, you really don't want to see Roddick Stepanek uh, uh, coming up uh, that you have to face, just because of who he is, his warrior-like mentality, and and of course, uh, let's not forget the antics that he brings with him on the court as well. That's a lot of fun for the spectators to watch and. The Czechs, next up for the Czechs, will be traveling to France. But before we get to uh, the French and their results, Sandy, uh, you know, when taking a look at the Kazakhstan at Switzerland matchup, uh, we would have thought that that would have been a whitewash. But um, Stan Warinka having some more trouble with the Kazakhs. In fact, when they played uh, a few years ago, he lost not only a singles match but also the doubles match. Kazakhstan blanked the Swiss 5-love, I believe, in 2010. And with Stan's result, yes, the Swiss got the win. Stan Warinka is now 1-4 lifetime against Kazakhstan. The Swiss did prevail in that match. Uh, interesting, uh, the doubles team of Golubev and Kukushkin took down uh, former gold medal champions Stan Warinka and Roger Federer to take a 2-1 lead before Stan Warinka woke up after a set down on Sunday to win, and then Roger Federer closed it out. You're, uh, as we talked about, uh, previewing Davis Cup, anything can happen in Davis Cup, and uh, very exciting for uh, the world to uh, 
get a little bit of drama from the Kazakhs and the Swiss. Yeah, um, you know, that matchup was kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, for me, anyways, I can't speak for the whole rest of the world that watched it, but um, for me, um, you know, on one level, it was, it was quite interesting uh, from, I guess, this perspective. I, quite honestly, didn't expect Stan to play well. Um, I expected him to play kind of the way he did, which was nervous and tight and tense and almost, you know, couldn't, couldn't find the middle. When I say couldn't find the middle, that means he couldn't find the rhythm. Um, he was either underdoing it or overdoing it. I mean, half the time he was basically, you know, pushing the return of serve back. I mean, there was just a lot of things that just showed pure tension. Um, and I think it's without question for a couple reasons. First of all, you know, having his status in the game changed, it changes many things. Even if he has more confidence, he has more, you know, there, there's more expectation. And sometimes, you know, one doesn't necessarily complement the other, if you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not surprising that Sam played the way he did. Um, maybe maybe a little bit surprising, um, the doubles result, but... In all honesty, those two guys, you know, uh, Golubev and Kukushkin, those guys are playing well. I mean, so it's, you know, so instead of instead of putting the focus on the drama of what Stan wasn't doing well, you know, put the put the put the onus on what the Kazakhstan guys were doing really well, which is just playing really good, um, given the circumstance. So that was great. And look, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Fed just steps up again. Um, I mean, bottom line, you know, he's just, you know, he was just there. Um, you know, if anybody else was playing the doubles with Stan, it would have been a real disaster, more than a disaster of the actual result of losing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Fed just stepped up, played well. Um, and you know, talking about, and all honestly, talking about pressure, if anybody had pressure, it was Roger. I mean, fifth match, first time in his career. He's played a live fifth rubber. Now, at 32 years old, going on 33, with everything that guy's done in the sport, to say that he's doing something for the first time is quite odd and unusual. So, Fed fans, don't get used to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, you know, he came through big. I mean, he was just, you know, you could see animation, you could see electricity, passion, intensity, emotion. And you know what? This is big to him, and you could really see it in the in those moments. It was, it, this is big to him, and you know what? They breathe for another round. They they've got a shot. So you know, and then you know what? A relaxed Roger and relaxed Stan is a seriously dangerous combination because we just saw what they were able to do when it was kind of only. 30% relaxed because Stan was 70% totally tense. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool thing to see over the weekend and really good tennis. Yeah, a first for Roger Federer. In fact, uh, the Swiss will host Italy in September. We missed out on a potential Switzerland at Great Britain. Uh, we talked about it before that, uh, you know, Andy Murray playing the U.S. on clay in San Diego is one thing. Andy Murray playing on clay against the Italians in Naples, quite a different story. And, uh, you know, the Great Britain squad was up 2-1. Uh, they, Murray played doubles uh, and got them to a 2-1 lead. 
And Fabio Fognini absolutely destroyed Andy Murray. Uh, Sandy, uh, another national hero. Obviously, the Italians love their tennis. Uh, Fabio Fognini, I didn't see any of that, but there was a, um, a European writer, Simon Reed, who's, who's a Brit, who said it was one of the top five matches he's ever seen in his life at how well Fabio Fognini was playing. And um, he even wrote uh, the fact that, you know, Fabio really sort of was uh, not even there for the doubles because he was already looking forward to his match with Murray the following day. And uh, Fabio Fognini, as we mentioned, is having a solid 2014, uh, swept Andy Murray, tough thing to do. And then uh, Seppi came through against James Ward, uh, taking the Italians into the semifinals where they will travel to Switzerland the week after the U.S. Open. But um, what are your thoughts on, uh, on that Italian-Great Britain matchup, Sandy? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I don't know how long everyone's going to keep on saying, you know, you know, talking about Andy's back and surgery and, you know, these things and he's, you know, uh, kind of coming up with, uh, you know, sort of reasons why things aren't maybe happening. It's maybe the level that, you know, one would suggest he should be playing at based upon, obviously, his career and his resume. But, again... Let's try to take the emphasis off what somebody wasn't doing and put the emphasis on what somebody did do because that's kind of the way my mind works and that's the way I think it's better for the sport. So in this case, wow, Fognini. I mean, unbelievable, this guy. I mean, really, really, for me, he's not only, you know, the funny thing is, is uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break Fognini's game down for everybody right now. The one thing that everybody focuses on with, in regards to Fabio's game, uh, apart from, like, all the skill and the talent and the hands and all that kind of stuff that everybody kind of, you know, blushes over and all that, okay? Got the old Italian flair and, and all that stuff, okay? But the one thing everybody tends to focus on is wh- what Fabio is going to come out this time. Where is his mind? Where is his brain? Guys, everybody out there listening, let's not make one mistake. Half the reason why Fabio is as good as he is is because of his mentality, okay? Yes, sometimes it gets in his way. Absolutely, no question. He goes off the rails completely, okay? But you know what? If you're coaching, and I've done that for a really long time, I'd much rather have somebody that shows the passion and shows the zest for the game and for life that he does and then, yeah, sometimes it's going to blow up in your face and you're going to lose the match and it's going to look terrible and everyone's going to, you know, rip you apart. No problem. But you know what? Fabio was just phenomenal. I mean, yes, he played amazing against Andy and it didn't matter what Andy did, he did it better. Um, and it's great for the game. Um, great, you know, great to see him just flat out doing well. But, um, yeah, it was awesome. I mean... I thought it was more about what uh, Fabio did than what Andy didn't do. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, uh, Seppi, everybody in the game knows Seppi is just a pro's pro. I mean, that guy just comes out and he'll bring the same thing, like, pretty much every day, all day, every week, anywhere in the world in any tournament. He doesn't do anything like, ooh, you know, flashy or, you know, he's not going to make the ESPN top ten, okay, anytime soon unless he's playing one of the big guys and hits a great shot. But... He's reliable, and there's something to be said for reliability. So, yeah, it's great, and it can be interesting 
uh, Pete, I don't know how you see the matchup coming up in uh, September, but wow, um, you know Switzerland and uh, Switzerland and Italy, huh? Uh, in Switzerland, hmm, wonder what kind of court that's going to be on. I can take a quick guess. Um, I'm guessing something indoors, something maybe hard, and something maybe fast. Uh, that would be my first thought. Um, and yeah, it's going to be assuming that the same core teams are there, which based on what we've been hearing, that's the way it's going to be. Listen, Fabio against either Stan or Roger is entertaining, and Seppi is just a tough matchup, a battle. So it's going to be great. What are your thoughts, Pete? Well, uh, the fact that it's going to be played a week after the U.S. Open, I, it, it'll be, you know, some guys will be riding, riding some serious momentum. Uh, there will be some disappointments, obviously, with what happens at, in uh, Flushing Meadows. So, um, uh, obviously, the Swiss crowd is going to go ballistic. Uh, they've not seen this, uh, you know, semifinal at home in, in uh, perhaps ever. Uh, Roger playing at home, they don't get a chance to see him so much. Agreed on the uh, fast, hard court. Um uh, yeah, Stan and, and Roger, assuming everyone's healthy, uh, the Swiss are going to make their, their first final in, in Davis Cup. It'll be great to see, great for the world to see, get Davis Cup back uh, on the radar uh, that it richly deserves. And, uh, Cindy, you mentioned about, uh, you know, you say this throughout about let's let's concentrate on what people have been doing. Well, we talked a little bit about uh, what some of the Germans might be able to do. Tommy Haas, not there. Florian Meyer, not there. Cole Schreiber, no dice. Um, so, you know, number 119, Peter Gaudiewicz takes down number 12, Joe Wilfried Songa. Uh, Gasquet was not there, but to number 96, Tobias Kamke takes down number 50, Julian Beneteau. And guess what? The German team that nobody seems to know is up to love against the French in France, and let's flip that to say, you know, Lodra stepped in, played some great dubs, and um, credit to Sanga for getting the job done on Sunday, and then Gail Monfils coming off the bench and uh, winning the fifth and decisive rubber to uh, to lead the French. And not only do they get by Germany at home, they also get to stay home, and they will host the two-time defending champ Czech Republic, and uh, you better believe Thomas Burdich will be ready for that one. Yeah, I would assume by uh, by that time he'll be uh, he'll be good, rested, healthy, hungry, and ready to go. Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, look, everyone knows the qualities that Songa brings to the table. Um, most of his issue just comes down to occasionally just staying healthy, um, and then occasionally maintaining focus for extended periods of time. Um, you know, Monfils is like the Michael Jordan of tennis. The way that guy, like, dances around the court and all that stuff. I mean, that guy's, like, insane the way that guy moves. Um, so, yeah, anytime you put him on the court, nobody wants to play that guy. Um, and, yeah, like you mentioned, the two German guys. I mean, those guys stepped up and played some serious ball. Um, they, uh, How do they say it? They had their 15 minutes of fame. Um, yeah. You know, a little more than 15, of course, but, you know, in theory. Um, but, you know, look... I just want to see, like, guys like that continue to play well because they obviously can play. The question becomes, can they put it together in the tournaments week in and week out and actually start to get to that level to where they're competing against those guys. But, you know, look, it goes without saying that, look, Tommy is, what, 35? Tommy Hoff is 35 going on 36 or, you know, in, you know mid to upper 30. So, 
know, physically, who knows, you know? I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's good for a little bit, and then obviously the shoulder gives way again. So, you know, some, there's, gonna, there's going to be room on the German team in some time for some of these guys to maybe, you know, make some more headway. So I think it's great. Indeed. Uh, some other, uh, just one other very curious, interesting result uh, in Davis Cup action, not in the, uh, the main draw. Jersey Janowitz, uh, the Poles were playing the Croatians in Warsaw. Uh, Janowitz lost, Janowitz is ranked 21, Sandy. He lost to number 295, Korik. And then on Sunday, blows a two-set to love lead against Marin Cilic, and uh, Poland's out losing at home to Croatia. I wanted to just point that out, and also hearty congratulations, uh, Andrea Petkovic winning in Charleston and Anna Ivanovic winning in Monterey. And uh, there's more Davis Cup. Uh, you know, we just had these results over the weekend, and the World Cup draw, the World Cup playoffs that will happen also the weekend after the U.S. Open, Sandy. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about some of the matchups, some of the intriguing matchups coming back right after the ad for the Taylor Dent Tennis Academy. We'll be right back after this. The Dent Academy is a family affair. You know, my dad, my wife, my brother, myself, we're all a part of it. We all grew up in tennis. We all are passionate about tennis. Being on the court with your son is good. We both have a good time with it. We both say things differently but mean the same thing. Let's see the grip. Don't change it. Oh, I saw it. I saw it. What makes a great coach is many things, but it ultimately comes down to seeing the game correctly and then being able to communicate that to the player efficiently. Right? So just nice and whippy behind that ball. When you finally get through to a player and you get them on the same page as you are, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. Oh! Oh, nice! Giddiness. You get giddy. You know, you get excited. It's, it's, it's this competition. This is emotion. It's, it's intensity out there. I mean, you know, that's what passion is all about, right? Shots presented by Pro 10 International in association with the MLJ Group. Pete Zebron with Sandy Middleman, our final segment this evening. And Sandy, this morning, our time, the World Group playoffs were announced today. Um, some very interesting uh, matchups. First, we should uh, share with everyone the USA will host Slovak Republic. But two that jump out at me. Uh, and again, we talked about Davis Cup and the unique aspects of Davis Cup, uh, fans around the world that don't necessarily have ATP tournaments uh, in their locales. Uh, Serbia is going to travel to India. Not sure if Novak Djokovic will make that trip following the U.S. Open. And Spain going to Brazil. Nice to see, uh, again, maybe not Nadal, but Spain certainly has a lot of other horses they can send to Brazil for that match. But nice to see uh, the people in India, great tennis fans, as well as the Brazilians, certainly not nearly as much tennis played in South America as, uh, as we see today. Uh, your thoughts on a couple of those matchups? Yeah, I mean, you know, Serbia going to India, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you know, a lot of things depend upon, you know, what Novak decides to do or not, you know, or not to do based upon, you know, his schedule and what his, you know, what his commitments are and where he wants to put his time. But, um, you know, the first thing that stands out to me, like, on the Indian side is uh, Sandeep Devarman. Um So, you know, the guy's, you know, he's just a good, solid, you know what I mean? A good, solid, nothing flashy pro that um, he'll just, uh, you know, he'll leave his heart on the court every time he plays, no matter whether he loses 0-0-0 to Novak or, you know what I mean, or he makes something competitive against somebody else. So um, for that, you always have to feel, you know, kind of grateful when you see somebody just flat out compete, even if they don't bring, like, the biggest weapons to the court, um, because, honestly, being ultra-competitive is a weapon. So, um, yeah, so that could be interesting. And like you said, big, uh, huge, huge fan base in India, um, sporting nation, popular in every different direction for whatever they do. Um, so, yeah, so that should be great. And uh, like you said, Spain, with regardless of the team they send, because there's like a million Spanish players, uh, just when you think that they're all hurt and retired or sick, uh, four more show up that you didn't even know that they had that are very good. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, getting into Brazil and, you know, playing there and, I mean, if, if there's any nation that bleeds passion for sport, it's Brazil. Um, so, yeah, it'll be great. And, you know, hopefully uh, the Brazilians will feel like, uh, you know, a, a pretty solid and, you know, uh, competitive and formidable team. And, yeah, it's just great to, you know, like you said, uh, flush the tennis into different markets. Another intriguing matchup that uh, I guess the only time you'd see these two nations collide is perhaps in a in a soccer friendly Argentina going to Brazil. Uh, nice against the part of the world that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, it's just good to get. Obviously, like you said, it's. Uh, it's good to get the um, you know the intrigue and the excitement up in different uh, different markets in the world with India and Brazil and you know both are uh, proud sporting nations and passionate about you know their sports and things like that so yeah it should be uh, quite interesting and you know great for the game and great for the you know the fan bases. Indeed, uh, other matchups: Sandy, Argentina traveling to Israel, Colombia going to Canada. I mentioned the Slovaks coming to America. Uh, this is a tough trip for uh, for both squads. Uzbekistan going to Australia right after the U.S. Open, Croatia to the Netherlands, and Belgium to Ukraine. Any any of those matchups uh, before we close out the show tonight that uh, intrigue you? Um, I don't really think any of them in particular kind of jump out at me. Um, but I think that if you look at them all, I mean. You know, anything that Croatia is involved in, I always have a little bit of, uh, you know, personal interest in that. So, um, always, and, and, you know, also, too, just to, to kind of get a feel for, you know, maybe where some of the, you know, the younger generation is also being implemented into matches, um, given opportunities. Um, you know, there's some very good, uh, very good young Croatian players at the moment. Um, at the world, you know, the world junior level is, far, is also at the rising sort of WTA level, um, ATP level. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's – sometimes I feel like, honestly, Pete, sometimes the matches that don't have any marquee players 
can occasionally be more interesting than the matches. I mean, obviously the matches with all the marquee names are interesting on their own merits because, you know, because of who they are. But in certain cases, I just think it's good just to see two nations just sort of flat out battle it out for a weekend, you know, and then see if anybody kind of shocks the world and does something nobody expected and there's a new name to be, you know, kind of thrown into the, the conversation. So um, without, you know, focusing too much on one particular match, I just think I look kind of forward to all the matches and just kind of see where they all go. Indeed. Uh, and uh, the world and points on the globe are going to cha- get a chance to see some good Davis Cup action the week after the U.S. Open. And, Sandy, we have another guest uh, a couple days from now on Thursday, Brad Thyroff. If you just want to share with our listeners a little bit about Brad and what they can expect on the show on Thursday. Yeah, sure, Pete. Um, well, as we mentioned in the last couple of weeks and obviously uh, earlier tonight with uh, Jeremy Wurtzman on, uh, this week is a tribute to Rochester, New York Tennis Week. Um, I kind of, you know, being from Rochester myself, uh, and going way back to those guys, I thought I'd throw a twist into the theme of the week. Um, but, yeah, Brad, um, Brad Thyroff, somebody that I've known, um, you know, nearly as long as I've known Jeremy Wurtzman. Uh, Brad's one of my um, my best friends. Um, we've gone, we grew up playing together. Uh, we've been through pretty much every, you know, every bit and piece of our personal and professional lives together. A great guy. Um, a lot of fascinating experiences that he's had as a professional in the world of tennis, uh, both playing the sport um, as well as being a, um, a serious contributor to um, three major Grand Slam champions in, and two iconic figures in the world of uh, tennis and female sport in Venus and Serena Williams, as well as uh, Jan Novotna and um, you know, you'll, you'll, we'll hear some interesting stories uh, with Brad on, but, um, you know, uh, like I said, he's, he's a great guy. He's, um, he brings a lot of insight. He's very bright. He knows the game. Um, and just a, sort of a tidbit on Brad, which uh, I'm sure he'll be, he'd be embarrassed if I brought this up. Um, but when Brad was growing up uh, playing, he, um, let's, let me just say this. This is probably going to sound pretty extreme, but I can tell you that Brad was as fast on the court as Michael Chang. Brad had that kind of speed. He had those legs. Um, you know, if he had taken maybe a little bit different route competitively and sort of worked a little different way, um, there's no telling potentially what kind of, you know, because he had, he had skill. Um, and he had just great speed, and um, yeah. Anyways, it was a pleasure to grow up with him and still be, you know, best friends today. And we've spent a lot, hundreds and hundreds of hours in the court together. So, um, looking forward to Brad being here. He'll be here for the full hour, which will be great. Um, so yeah, so I appreciate you opening up that door to kind of mention Brad. And uh, he actually tuned in tonight. He just texting because uh, he knows Jeremy uh, for as long as I have. So um, he said it was a great job and great show, and it'd be great to have him on Thursday. Indeed. We look forward to Brad, and on behalf of Jerry Wurtzman, this is Pete Zebron with Sandy Middleman signing off from the Pro 10 Radio Network. We will see you Thursday with Brad.